Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church this morning. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us. It's such a joy to know that there are really thousands of people across the world who are celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ, worshiping with the RPC family today. We're especially grateful for the 13 new members that just joined the RPC family virtually this past week. We celebrate them, welcome them into the family of faith. If you'd like to join them, reach out to Stephanie Jacobs, our director of membership. She would love to help you get incorporated into the family of faith here at RPC. I also want you to know that um, in the coming weeks, our 93 elders and Stephen ministers are gonna be calling all of the congregation, making uh, contact with you, seeing if you're doing okay, see if there's anything that we as the church can do for you um, and let you know that we're praying for you and we are in this together. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the story of Elijah and we've been looking at him as a man of God, the making of a man of God. What does it take? How can we become people of God? What sets Elijah apart? What does Elijah's story have to teach us about our own lives? Remember the the tough time that Elijah ministered in. There had been 19 consecutive evil kings in Israel, and then the worst of them showed up with King Ahab, the worst king in 19 generations. As punishment for Israel's apostasy, Elijah's called to take a tough word to Ahab says God is going to send a drought as punishment for their apostasy. And so there was a severe drought in the, in the land. As last week we saw that Elijah did battle with the, the um, prophets of Baal. And in that battle he called fire down and showed that he worships the true God. And he called those people back to faith. And the people repent. And so God relents and relieves the drought and sends rain. I'm interested in how... Elijah's actions in this story can speak to us in our own lives today. So let us listen for the word of the Lord. Our passage comes from 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 46. Listen for the word of the Lord. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. There he bowed himself down upon the earth. He put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Then he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Look a little, a little cloud no bigger than a person's hand is rising out of the sea. Then he said, Go say to Ahab, Harness your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. There was a heavy rain. Ahab rode off and went to Jezreel. But the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran in front of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that the next few moments you might be our teacher. That this story wouldn't be just an ancient story trapped in the past But Lord, that it might spring to life by your spirit, that you might teach us how you want to be in conversation with us. In fact, that's what we're created for. So we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever felt yourself moved to pray? 
Have you ever been desperate to ask God for something? I have. It all happened in uh, Siberia, Russia. <laughs> I was in Irkutsk, Siberia, helping lead American culture camps with Russian college students the summer after my freshman year of college. Spencer, the man who uh, is the family we were staying with, was an avid fisherman. And so he could not wait to take us young college students fishing in Siberia. I mean, how many people have actually fly fished in Siberia? Finally, on one of our days off, the time came and we had our chance to go fishing. Spencer drove us for hours out into the middle of nowhere. I was surprised actually at how hot Siberia can become during the summer months but it was beautiful. There were these huge Siberian towering pines. There were these gorgeous hills. There were these long snaking rivers. We were surrounded by the beauty of nature. I couldn't believe it. We're going fishing in Siberia. But as we drove out further and further into nowhere, I began to feel a little hesitation, a little anxiety, a little worry set in. We are going fishing in Siberia. Is this a good idea? I offered a few prayers for safety. They wouldn't be the last prayers I prayed. In our text today, we see Elijah drops to his knees and prays for rain. He needs the rain and he needs it now. And so he prays for rain. You know what? I believe all human beings have the urge, have the need to pray. Every faith, every religion includes some form of prayer. Re remote tribes pray for things like health and rain and food and victory and battles. Five times a day, Muslims go, will drop whatever they're doing, and they will bow down to pray. Buddhists meditate and pray. Roman Catholics pray the rosary. I think even atheists, if we're honest, find a way to pray. Not long ago, I read the story of when Russia was communist the Communist Party leaders kept what they called a red corner, and they placed a portrait of Lenin in the place where Christians used to have icons. Listen to what Pravda, the official newspaper of the Communist Party, said in the 1950s. It wrote, If you meet with difficulties in your work or suddenly doubt your abilities, think of him, of Stalin, and you will find the confidence you need. If you feel tired in an hour when you should not, think of him, of Stalin, and your work will go well. If you are seeking a correct decision, think of him, of Stalin, and you will find that decision. And they said they weren't religious. Sounds a lot like prayer to me, right? Human beings are praying creatures. In fact, a number of years ago, I read a fascinating essay by the Lutheran theologian Robert Jensen titled, The Praying Animal. And in it, he asks an important question. He says, what separates or what differentiates human beings or homo sapiens from other animals? I'd never really thought about that question much before, but philosophers down through the ages have asked it, and it's an important question. Well, a couple hundred years before Christ, the philosopher Aristotle, he came up with an answer that most of Christian theology kind of signed onto for, for the foreseeable future. And what he found that separates or differentiates humans from other animals is human rationality. We're rational. Well, you probably are thinking what I'm thinking. It doesn't take much reading of the news to say humans often don't act very rational. Well, he knew that too. 
And so Aristotle defined rationality or human rationality in terms of what he called potentiality. Potentiality. Humans are different than other creatures because of their potential to be rational. The problem with this position in the modern area is that the theory of evolution implies that all species evolve in a process of adaptive development. The problem from this point of view is that humans and other animals are simply on the same continuum developing rationality. Humans and animals have the potential to be rational. For instance, we see that dolphins have language. Your dog will come when you call its name sometimes. Or maybe apes and monkeys demonstrate rationality. So what does, Jensen say, differentiate or separate humans and animals? Jensen offers a fascinating and profound theological answer to differentiate humans from animals. First, he begins at the very beginning. He says, it is Christianity's conviction that from eternity past, so eternity looking backwards, that the God of the universe, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been in conversation with himself, that God has talked to God's self. And in this inner triune relationship, God is both the speaker and the hearer of words. God communicates as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of this conversation flows the creation of the world. This is why the book of Genesis and the Gospel of John says God spoke the creation into existence. It's this conversation, this triune conversation between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What they talk about is creation. That's the substance of their, of their conversation. And so, because of this creation, God just doesn't want to talk about creation. God wants to talk to creation. And when God speaks to creation, oh, that speech beckons an answer. God wants us to respond. And our response to God speaking to us is what we call prayer. And so Jensen says, humans are separated from other creatures because we alone are praying animals. Only we can hear and respond to God's speech, God's word to us. Human beings are praying animals. We are created to listen to God and to talk back to God. We are unique because we have the ability, the desire, and the need to pray. We will all find times and places in our lives where we need to pray. Because of the Israelites' sin of worshiping other gods, and you should know that there is some evidence that there was child sacrifice involved in this worship of other gods, God sent a drought as punishment to wake them up from them worshiping false gods. And now that the people have repented, Elijah is praying for rain. We need this drought to end, God, and we need you to send rain. We will all find ourselves in times of drought at points in our lives when we need to pray for rain. On my trip in the Siberian wilderness, we fished all of Spencer's favorite fishing spots, but we didn't catch a thing. The sun begins to set and it comes time to leave. Now remember, we are in Siberia. We are in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. We try to I'll crash into Spencer's Isuzu Trooper. Well, happens that we get stuck in the mud. There are three of us guys and we're trying to push to get it out, but we can't make it budge at all. So someone thinks of a brilliant idea and they say, what we need is we need a lever. 
So one of us found a big branch and we wedged it under the back of the wheel. And Spencer hits the gas and we push down, lifting up the back wheel. Well, the branch slips, the car crashes down and we can't really see much of it it's in the dark, but we know it's not good because we hear a loud hissing sound. And there's the deflation of our tire. We are in serious trouble without food, with little water. It's dark and we are stuck in the mud in Siberia. We need to pray. <laughs> but does prayer make a difference? Does prayer change anything? Or is prayer just about expressing ourselves, getting our needs off our chests? This can be a tricky theological problem and a th tricky theological question. Probably one that all of us have asked at some point. Already by the third century, theologians were asking this question. And the best answer to this question I've ever come across comes from a guy named Origen. He lived in the third century, lived in Alexandria and Caesarea. He was one of the most influential theologians of the time. Eventually he died of injuries that he suffered from being tortured for his faith. He was no armchair theologian. He had skin in the game. And so Origen asked, if God knows what God's going to do before I even ask, why should I pray? And Origen came up with this answer. You should pray because God has decided to use your prayer as one of the causes of answering the prayer. Let me say that again. You should pray because God has decided to use your prayer as one of the causes of answering the prayer. Did you get that? This is what philosophers call a virtuous circle. We don't know which prayers God will answer and what prayers God won't answer. And since we don't know, we are driven to pray. We know that God wants to use our prayer as one of the causes of answering the prayer. We don't know the prayers he'll answer or won't answer. And so it drives us to go down to our knees and pray. You see, Jesus at one point even says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. No, what does he do? He doesn't say, he says, so then you don't need to pray? No, he says, so ask him. He says, you need to pray. Jesus, even though God knows what God is going to do, still wants us to pray. God wants a conversation partner. We are praying creatures. As Lindsay Slocum's favorite rapper, MC Hammer, once said, we need to pray just to make it today. That's why we pray. But even if God doesn't answer our prayer in the way we want, prayer still can have a spiritually stabilizing effect on our lives. In our times of stress and anxiety, prayer helps us get our footing. It helps center our hearts and our minds on what matters. We find hope and stability when we pray. Stuck in Siberia, in need of a tire change, stuck in the mud and it's dark. We're fo forced to stay the night there in the, in the wilderness. We decided we'd figure it out in the morning. And this is when it really starts to get bad. Spencer is going to sleep in the car and Mike and I are going to sleep outside in our sleeping bags. And now contrary to what you might think, you might think Siberia is always cold. It's not in the summer. And in this particular night, it was extremely hot. It's the kind of night that you didn't want to sleep in a sleeping bag or, or with blankets or even clothes, okay? But we had to. Why? Because of the raging, ginormous Siberian mosquitoes. <laughs> they outnumbered the stars in the sky. 
If there was a millimeter of skin showing, those mosquitoes would attack your body. And so we had to huddle into our sleeping bags and we just made the hole as big as our mouth and we would rotate trying to breathe out. And as we're sweating and drenched in sweat inside of the sleeping bag, it's totally disgusting, but we can't open it up and let ourselves breathe because then the mosquitoes will attack us. It was the most miserable night of my life. Throughout the night, as I'm suffering, I remember praying, God, if you're not going to turn the temperature down or get rid of these mosquitoes, then give me courage and patience. Please help me get through this. You may have heard of St. John of the Cross's dark night of the soul. Well, this was my dark night of the mosquito. A number of years ago, I stumbled across an article by the theologian Sarah Coakley. It was titled, Jailbreak, Meditation as Subversive Activity. At the time, she was a professor at Harvard Divinity School, and while there, she felt the call to become an Episcopal priest. And as part of her training, she was required to do an internship. So she decided to become a chaplain at a Boston jail. And while there, she was a chaplain at the jail, one of her major tasks and duties was to start a silent prayer group for these men, these guys in jail. Now, silent and contemplative prayer is where you try and quiet your heart and mind and center your thoughts and heart on God. Dr. Coakley wasn't too sure if any of these men would be interested. She was, though, in fact, surprised to find many of them were. And Coakley said that through contemplative prayer in this jail, that she watched a dramatic change in these guys' lives. Listen to how she describes it in this article. She says, one of the most striking features of jail life is the continuous level of noise. Without carpets on the floor, with screams of command from the guards regularly punctuating the atmosphere, and with small three-man cells as the locus of ongoing physical tensions and arguments, jail offers little opportunity for stillness and peace. Many men find it difficult even to close their eyes in the presence of others they fear privacy of a sort can be achieved only by demotion to solitary confinement. She goes on, shared silence in peace and solidarity in the context of a jail is possibly the most subversive act of resistance to the jail's culture of terrorization and violence that one might devise. She said, occasionally I would catch the eye of a guard who checked on us at regular intervals through the large picture window into the chapel. His look of sheer wonder and simultaneous suspicion was noteworthy. I learned, too, that at least some of the men were profoundly interested in reimagining their time as a process of trial and transformation. In other words, prayer can help us reimagine a time of tribulation as a process of trial and transformation. If I have to be stuck in this horrible jail, if I have to be stuck in a time of drought, if I have to be stuck in a time of pandemic, it can be a time for a trial and transformation. Maybe God wants to transform me through it. This is the difference prayer can make. It can change your perspective on a time of trial and tribulation. Over the past few months, I've really been trying to take this perspective asking myself this question, how can I experience this inconvenience, this tribulation as an opportunity for trial and transformation? We have a choice. Note how in our scripture passage, how the very thing that was meant to be a blessing becomes an inconvenience and an obstacle to Ahab. 
Elijah tells Ahab, you better get going quick. I hear rain is coming. And Ahab wants to get home. Doesn't want to get stopped. Doesn't want to get caught with an inconvenience. So the very thing that was a blessing, he saw as an obstacle. Elijah didn't. Elijah had a posture of prayer, and that gave him a different perspective. Prayers like Elijah helped me survive Siberia. After barely any sleep, we awoke to hear an early model Jeep coming towards us. Mike and I turned and looked at each other and then looked towards the Jeep. And it was this old military-style Jeep, and driving it was a guy that looked like a reincarnated Joseph Stalin. He had this little triangle beard. Mike and I look at us, look at each other. We start thinking, I hope he knows the Cold War is over. But he drives up, gets out of his Jeep, pulls his winch, ties up our Jeep, and pulls us out, and then helps us change the tire. He saved us. And as we drove home through that Siberian wilderness, we were going back home and the feeling of safety and rescue made us so happy. I can remember it like it was yesterday. We rolled down the windows and we blasted Alan Jackson for some reason. But it did help us survive and help us celebrate our survival. In Siberia, just the night before we had been considering dying in our misery, and now we drove home with smiles on our faces, wind blowing through our hair. My friend turns to me and looks and says, this is going to make one beautiful story. And we prayed prayers of thanksgiving. As the Swiss theologian Karl Barth once wrote, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So whether we are dealing with drought or a pandemic or anything else, God wants to talk to us about it. Sometimes that's through verbal prayers. Other times it will come through the stabilizing prayers of silence. But no matter what, let us remember to clasp our hands in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your great invitation for us to pray to you. Thank you that we are creatures of prayer. Lord, you want to talk to us and you want us to talk to you, to lay our cares and concerns before you. Give us the reminder, give us the courage to do so. We thank you for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.